a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company. Story Connect, the podcast, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Story Connect, the podcast. My name is Stephen Smith, and we are recording live at the 50th annual meeting of the Tennessee Municipal Electric Power Association. Uh, We're here in beautiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and I have as my guest this evening, Mr. Steve Sachs. Welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for being here. And um, can I take a minute and just talk about 50 years of public power? Can I talk about TMEPA and TVA and... The people back in 1920s and 30s and 40s that had the vision, the the bright ideas, and the courage to fight for public power versus private power. So let's talk about that for just a minute, if you let me. Absolutely. In the in the early days of electricity, electricity was run by private companies. Tom Edison. Uh, um, uh, George Westinghouse, they all had these private power companies. And, and that's what happened for about 20 years from the early teens into the 30s. And power was used as a commodity for cities and governments to make money off of, and private power companies to make money off of. And what happened was um, not all the people could get access to power. It was not cheap, it was expensive. And um, unless you were in the affluent side of the community, uh, you didn't have access to electricity. Uh, all, all across the pond, as they say, in Europe, it was the other way around. Electric companies didn't exist. The government ran the electric systems for the benefit of all of the citizens. And so um, most of Europe, back in the 30s and 40s, had electricity. Farms, farms had electricity, cities had it, but that wasn't true in the United States. And so visionaries said there's got to be a better way of doing this. And the idea of public power owned um, by public entities for the purpose of the public, uh, without profit, to certainly pay their way and pay their bills and provide good service, but to remove this profit uh, idea because we could afford to run power into the hinterlands, into the farmlands, um, where it was really needed. Interesting also is, uh, as, that, as that rollout began, we got into a war war, World War I. And uh, what we learned was, uh, in order to support the war effort, uh, agribusiness had to begin. We had to have food and fiber uh, to support our troops. Well, where did that come from? It came from the farmers. The farmers didn't have electricity. We were still doing a lot of that work in manual manual labor and manual machines. So all this power, public power, now what we know is uh, REA, the Rural Electrification Association, all of that had its roots in this idea of power for the public, power for the public good, power should be used for the for the social value it is and not for some big profit-making private company. So we sit here in um, downtown Nashville. We celebrate the idea of the Tennessee Municipal Power Association. That was, the, that was a pulling together of all these municipal power companies we had in Tennessee into a 
voice, for lobbying, for, um, for um, common knowledge, for training, um, and for promotion and betterment of the idea of public power. And wow, was that a big idea back then? And it's still true today. And we sit here in this great hotel with all these nice folks, and uh, we realize we're part of a great big idea that's taken root and has expanded and basically has the same premise today that it got started with. And I bet you can't find much like this in other sectors of society. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, Steve Sachs is the general manager of Murfreesboro Electric Department, uh, just not too far down the road here. And uh, Steve, in addition to that, you you have, ever since I've known you, and that's been many years, you have had a vision that that expanded well beyond the management position that you might have at a local utility. You're one of the biggest proponents that I know of the coming together, working together, and being involved, not just in your local community, but being involved in the regional, in the state, and in the uh, national associations. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance of folks coming together like they are at this meeting to celebrate that uh, that unity, but what that unity can accomplish for that end user and that consumer. So, you know, as you get into, um, whether you're in the power business, whether you're in the school business, whether you're in the real estate business or the manufacturing business, um, there's lots of voices out there that have commonality and the more of those voices and ideas you can pull together into a single focused vision and mission and statement and product the more influence you're going to have and more success you're going to have and so i you just see it time and time again when you can get like minds and like people pulling together finding some commonality in an idea and a mission and a statement and a purpose the sky's the limit. You can go as far as you want to go. Uh, we've worked, um, you and I have worked on local issues um, uh, because of a local need. We've worked on regional issues because they were a bigger issue. And we've worked on national issues. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example that um, comes to mind. Um, um, it, it, near your hometown, um, there's, the Chickamauga, uh, La- there's the Chickamauga Lake and the Chickamauga Dam. Um, you may remember reading that Congress was going to just let the Chickamauga Dam shut down because the dam was eroding, uh, the concrete was um, wearing away, and the dam was becoming unsafe. A group of North Alabama utility people and Southeast Tennessee utility people got together and said, we can't let this happen. This is a major commercial waterway and we started going to Washington, we started knocking on doors, saying we're here, Not this isn't a local issue, this is a regional, and could even be national, and might even be national security issue. And we're here out, out of our interest to protect all of the folks that live and affected by the Chickamauga Lake, Chickamauga Dam, Tennessee River, and we need the money, and we need you to fund this. Um, so. You know, it, it's very difficult to take two Alabama senators and two Tennessee senators and a whole bunch of congressmen across not only party lines but across state lines, all agreeing we're going to take this project on. But we did, and 
every time I read about it's been a 10-year effort it wasn't it wasn't just go to Washington and make an appeal it's taken 10 years but funding's begun the docks being rebuilt and that whole project is moving along to me that's been one of the examples of how I've been able to take my little voice and add it 20 30 40 times with other voices and make something really happen so well, sometimes as we're looking at the, the big picture, sometimes um, something comes up locally, maybe out of the blue and unexpected, and that certainly certainly was the case last year for Murfreesboro Electric Department when you got a call one Friday afternoon to learn that there was uh, an offer on the table and uh, an electric cooperative making an offer to buy the electric department. Uh, walk us through a little bit of how that happened, and then we'll talk about some things that, that you did from a communication standpoint. Be glad to. We started um, over a year ago when, um, uh, as you just so eloquently said, we got a phone call that um, this, this neighboring utility uh, approached the city and just said, you know, we'd like to have a conversation and we'd like to make you an offer. Uh, we'd like to buy your utility. Um, we, we had some folks that were interested in that, and so they uh, actually signed and agreed to an MOU um, of some issues pertaining to that, um, um, setting the stage, I suspect, of how that might uh, might go down if it does go down. Um, and it caught um, me completely off guard. It caught our board completely off guard, and uh, of course our employees. And um, and so um, we call that. Um, the day that changed the world for us. And so we reached out to um, our friends at WorSouth and Stephen Smith and said, help us, help us draw this uh, picture, help us get this picture in a box because it's just all scattered and we're a little bit shell-shocked. And so I, I will always be uh, thankful for your vision and, and your help. You, um, uh, you first said, um, we gotta get everybody in a room and we gotta start figuring out a SWOT analysis here. We gotta, we got to come up with our strengths, our weaknesses, and um, opportunities. We, we've got to figure out what to do. And so uh, you came in, um, helped us work through that, and brought in um, a couple outside experts who had been through this kind of merger and acquisition efforts. And from that, we began to build a game plan um, and um, actual in, actually into work product um, activities that we needed. And a whole lot of it was communication, which is your um, strong suit for us. And um, so we, who do we have to communicate with? Well, first of all, we had to communicate with our employees. Um, they, were, they were as shell-shocked as the rest. And um, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to my family? And what does that mean to my son who's going to try to go to college next year? And um, so we, get, we began a, um, as you know, we began a communication process about every other week with our with our employees. We had uh, several face-to-face uh, large meetings. We had several small face-to-face meetings. And so that began that internal communication. Um, we did a um, intranet, we had an intranet program that wasn't really very effective. So we used that, beefed that up. And those are just the beginnings of how we communicated internally. Externally, we had been doing a newsletter through WordSouth. We did that on, I think, a quarterly basis or maybe once every two months. And we decided that this was a big issue we needed to give some 
more attention to, and we went to a monthly newsletter. And wow, what an effect it had to educate internally, educate externally, and um, the truth is the truth. We, we, we had a hard time uh, trying to figure out how to respond to things that might be rumors or innuendos, uh, not sure what the source of that information was. And so we decided to stick to the truth. And um, as we stuck to the truth, the truth came out and the community was interested in those questions and that's what they focused on. And, and we were successful. We, you know, we've, a year and a couple months later, the co-op rescinded their uh, offer and said, um, I think we'll just let this go away. So um, uh, the things that I think were very important to us uh, were focused on uh, organization, uh, internal, internal support, internal communication, external support, and external communication. Uh, that's what made this successful. I, I want to touch again on something that you, you said earlier and get you to expand on that a little bit. The, um, you talk about the importance of just telling the truth and getting the truth out there. And that really starts with knowing what the truth is. And one thing you uh, really said early on is we need to find out what our real value is, not necessarily the worth from a financial standpoint, but what is the value of this electric department to this city? Talk a little bit about what goes into determining the real value. You know, um, thanks for bringing that up, Stephen, because um, I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time thinking about that topic. And what you don't know, um, we had a couple engineers outside, consulting engineers that worked for us that said, hey, um, I'm troubled by this. Let me help. Let me help where I can. And everything in the first eight or nine months uh, of this uh, buyout project seemed to focus on, well, what's the system worth? You know, let's figure out what it's worth. And we'd sit down in, um, in our office and we'd take balance sheets and we'd take property records and we'd take all these things and we'd, uh, all these spreadsheets and we'd add them up and we'd go, well, this seems to be what it's worth. And one of my close um, colleagues and engineering friends kept saying, well, that's just what the stuff is worth. You know, it's just like you're going to buy a pile of bricks. That's what the stuff is worth. But you're a great utility. You've got lots of engineering work. You've got lots of capacity. You've got lots of ability to be a great utility in the future. You've got, you've got uh, intellectual properties with all of your employees who've been trained and skilled. You've won awards for being a top producing utility. You've got customers who brag on the work you do. That's worth money too. That, you know, it's not just what the pile of bricks and mortar and, and wire and transformers worth. It's what the business is worth. It's what the customers think the business is worth. And so we began to explore, explore that. And we discovered through our own process and talking with our customers, we are a great utility and they think we're a great utility. And we're willing to step up and tell other people we're a great utility. We get, we get services here we don't get anywhere else. Um, 
and so you take what the bricks and mortar are worth and then you double that or triple that and that's what the real utilities worth. Um, and, and that's 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 where we were heading with this process. And we, I suspect at some point uh, in the next few years we'll get back to that and do it again and we'll get some real, real numbers. We're, we're really, um, we're in the middle of um, TVA doing a customer uh, satisfaction survey, uh, direct, um, uh, not a direct mail, but an internet-based um, customer survey. And, 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 and they're doing it for the Valley and they're doing it for the um, utilities as well. And we're anxious in uh, maybe October, maybe September, to see what those what those uh, numbers are like. We've never done it before, Stephen. Um, it's kind of a scary thing to think that somebody's um, calling calling your customers or emailing them and asking them to fill out a survey. But um, we um, we're anxious to see how how the customers measure up. Um, I will I will tell you that. I have customers that call me occasionally, uh, not often, but occasionally, and thank me for a job well done, um, better response than they expected, better uh, resolution to an issue than they were anticipating. And gosh, if I could have just bottled all those up and had them when I needed them, uh, I would have liked to have presented that to um, our city fathers on what a good job we're doing. Unfortunately all those things get scattered around and you never keep them in one area and what you focus on are the customers that have a complaint and you're trying to resolve that and occasionally those nice favorable comments get lost in the mix but that's not true in the future we're going to keep those uh, records around so when we need them in the future we'll be able to pull them out but to reiterate that whole conversation um, communication 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 um, that's what you tell me, and I agree, that's exactly right. If you're not communicating regularly, even in the good days, if you're not communicating with your customers, um, shame on you. Uh, you, need to, you need to keep that dialogue going. Um, and, and you wonder about the things you're doing. Um, do we do it on our website? Do we do a direct mail insert in our bills? Do we do it in the newspaper? What works and what doesn't work? And I don't have a magic wand and I don't have an answer. I just know that you just do it and you do what you feel is right and you do what you have the money to do. But, and frankly, in our case, we uh, chose to do the insert because we know we've got 60,000 customers and every one of them is going to get that newsletter. You don't expect everybody to read them, but you expect most people to. And we've kept it down to a real manageable size where you can pick it up and if if it takes you more than 15 minutes to read it from page to page, um, you're, you're reading it too slow. And, but it's amazing. Um, I had people stop me and wonder, um, are you okay, Steve? Are you okay? And I go, well, yeah, why? Well, we haven't seen your article in the column in the paper in your, in your newsletter in the last couple months. We thought maybe there was something going on. And I said, no, we had too much to do. And we left my column out, but it'll be back. Just don't worry. So um, I take that as the greatest form of flattery when we're looking for you to have a comment and it wasn't there. So I haven't told you that till now, but um, you're, the, you're the power and the energy behind that. And we really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure working with you guys. When, uh, since you uh, became general manager at Murfreesboro Electric, the city has had at least a couple of uh, pretty rough storms. You've had some 
a terrible tornado to deal with, you uh, had a nice storm, and maybe some others, you knew before those storms came that you had material on the yard, you had trained personnel. Um, you didn't know when a storm was coming, but you knew someday a storm's coming. And so you're in a constant state of preparation. When we talk about storms such as what you have weathered with this buyout attempt, uh, a lot of parallels, I think, can be drawn between those types of storms. And the other um, municipalities that may be listening to this podcast, they, they may never face a buyout attempt, but chances are they're going to face some sort of public perception crisis. What would you say to those people about being ready for that? So I've been asked that question um, uh, by other folks, and I've got about two or three things that I think are absolutely vital. Number one, you have got to be doing a great job. Whatever you decide a great job is in the business, you have got to be a top performer. And I mean you've got to have outages have got to be under control um, you've got to have good reliability even 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 squirrels and you know insulator problems and all that you have got to be doing a good job electrically for your customers and your customers have to recognize it I've had um, <clears throat> one of the things that I wish I would have recorded is a conversation with one of my customers who was on the Public Service Commission in Oklahoma and she moved to Tennessee and landed in uh, Murfreesboro and was a customer for about a year and out of the clear blue called me and had this conversation and said, do your customers know what a great job you do? And I said, well, probably not. And she said, look, I was on the public service committee. I know what good jobs and what bad jobs are and you guys are hitting it out of the park. And had I wished I had recorded her name or recorded her comments, that's one of those stars that we let fade by ourselves so back to your question i think you've got to be doing a good job whatever you decide that is you got to be doing it not only on the electrical side but on the business side are you taking care of your customers from the business side are you giving them the options they need to have their bills paid are you working with those that have a hard time paying their bills through some process um, once you decide you get that done and you're, and you're doing a good job and you're measuring that because there are ways uh, effectively you can measure both the electric satisfaction and the customer satisfaction. Now that you know what you're doing, you've got to be able to document that and to communicate that back with your board, with your city council, with your customers. Um, and you can't make that stuff up. You've got to have it. You've got to be doing it. You've got to have it. And then you've got to have it available as you need it. And that's really no different than we do when we try to battle weather storms, electrical storms. We know the process. We've got a plan. Uh, we know who's on first and what's on second. Uh, we, know, we know where to go, what to do, how to do it. We get that plan out every year or two. We look it over. We change all the, because all the cell phones changed and all the people changed. We update it and we move on. We're not doing that with our business, um, long-term business planning strategy uh, so that we can weather the business storms. And I believe that there's going to be more of this in the future. I think we're just maybe not quite the canary in the mine, 
but we're the second canary in the mine. Uh, we were one of the largest utilities in the state of Tennessee that got affected by a buyout attempt. Um, even in the southeast, there are utilities in this that are much smaller than we are. But on the other side, back in ni- eight, 1998, the city of Memphis had a buyout attempt for Memphis utility, which is 10 times as big as we are. So size doesn't matter in this case. Anybody and everybody's subject to it. So I think you've got to be aware. You've got to be doing a great job. You've got to stay uh, vigil at what your what your focus is, and you just have to have it. Have to have that information close to hand, so when something happens, you can just start grabbing it instead of having to go back saying what What's our SWOT analysis? You ought to have that SWOT analysis already done. Great points. Great points. Well, I know that we could uh, we could talk about that all day. We're going to uh, wrap up this interview for now, and hopefully we can come back a year from now and revisit this topic, and things will be even better and rosier than they are today. Thanks for this. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. So have I, Steve. And uh, our guest today has been Steve Sachs, the general manager of Murfreesboro Electric Cooperative. I'm your host, Stephen Smith. You're listening to Story Connect, the podcast. I'll remind you that you can visit storyconnect.com to listen to all the podcasts, not only from this 50th anniversary TMEPA annual meeting, but uh, many other conferences and individual episodes and interviews that we've done since launching Story Connect, the podcast, last fall. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. So thanks again for listening. Again, I'm Stephen Smith, your host. And until we talk again, keep telling your story. You've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast, a production of Word South, a content marketing company.